Hi, my name is Jackie Goddard and this is Power to Speak, the podcast, where I talk to a mix of creatives, thought leaders, authors, in fact, anyone with an interesting and inspiring story to tell. How did they get here? What have they learnt and how can their journey help us mere mortals? In this episode, I'm talking with master marketer Jeff Cottrell, former head of marketing for Coca-Cola, Converse and Starbucks, an art and music lover and a total legend. Enjoy. So I'd like to welcome today Jeff Cottrell. I am so, so excited to have you here on my little old podcast, my Power to Speak podcast, uh, which is relatively new. Um, And to have someone of your calibre is just amazing. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you Uh, so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. You're more than welcome. So Jeff, you have been uh, a marketing officer for Coca-Cola in uh, North America. You have been former, well, I mean, I've got a whole list here. Converse, <laughs> general manager and, and CMO of uh, Converse, for, former marketing officer of the Starbucks entertainment business. What does it, what's, uh, what's, what's the entertainment arm of Starbucks? Uh, Starbucks used to have um, a record label. They used to own a, a number of actually small record stores called Hear Music. And we, they started a record label called Hear Music. And, uh, and we signed artists directly, made albums. It was, a, it was quite, a, um, quite a fun journey and experience uh, living in Seattle and doing that. It was, it was a lot of fun. Wow. Wow. Um, a chair of the Grammy Foundation. How did that come about? Uh, I guess years ago when I got to Converse, uh, one of my mentors is a man named Joel Katz. He's a, um, a famous music lawyer in the United States. Um, he called me one day. He's been a mentor of mine for years. He called me one day right after I got to Converse and said, you know, hey, we're going to nominate you to be on the Grammy Foundation. You can't say no. And I, I remember sitting in my office thinking, why would I possibly say no to that? So I was involved in that organization for 10 years. And really the purpose of that organization was to raise money for music education and for music preservation to preserve the great stories in the history of of music. So I was on that board for 10 years. I served as its vice chair and its chair and uh, an incredibly satisfying experience because uh, the arts are so important and important to me personally. So to be able to help raise money to, to help um, young musicians, you know, meant a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I said, the arts mean a lot to me. I've always worked in and around the arts. So is, is, is that something that you did as a child? Is it, it, it? I mean, obviously, music is a big part of, and we'll go we'll go deeper into obviously the the marketing side. But do you yeah. think there's a lot of music involved in what you what you've done as a uh, in your career too? So has that was that did that precede, precede the marketing side? Well, it, it's funny. Um, I've always loved music. When I was 13 years old, I grew up in Tampa, Florida, in the in the U.S., and uh, I used to sell uh, co. Cokes um, at in you know fountain cokes in a big tray uh, when I weighed about eighty five pounds and and uh, walking through uh, selling cokes at rock concerts it was the only way at thirteen years old that my parents would let me go see a concert so I would go in the premise of selling cokes I would sell cokes and then I would throw the tray in the in the stands and then I would climb up and watch the show so I saw people like Led Zeppelin Pink Floyd Yes the Rolling Stones. All these great bands when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, my dream was that I somehow wanted to run a record label someday, which which is an odd thing for a kid who grew up in Tampa, Florida to think. 
I love music. I always did. It never once occurred to me because I had no, I can't play guitar. I can't play drums. can't play keyboard. I can't sing. So it never occurred to me to be in a band, to start a band, to join a band. It just always just an interest. The business side of music was always interesting. So later in my career, um, roads just seemed to collide. Um, I was doing a bunch of music stuff. The first time I worked for Coke, I became the head of entertainment marketing globally for the, for the company. And I did all kinds of stuff in music and film and celebrity. And then I had the opportunity to go to Starbucks and, and lead, uh, lead marketing and lead the business development for their record label, which was my dream literally coming true. Um, so I've been really fortunate that the things that I love have also found their way into the things I love to do as uh, you know, professionally. So it's, it's, uh, it's been, it's been loads of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you think, when I think back probably to the, to the 80s more with, with Coke, especially, they were, they were always, uh, you know, the Michael Jackson uh, TV adverts, there was, you know, they were, they were always intrinsically involved with the music business, even back then. Were you, were you back, were you involved at that, that early stage? No, no, that, in fact, it's funny, Michael Jackson was Pepsi, um, but Coke was still very involved in, in music. No, I didn't. I, I think my first uh, stint at Coca-Cola started in 1996. Right. So um, it was it was well after that. But yeah, I mean, Coca-Cola and their brands have always been a part of culture. And uh, it was it was an honor to be able to work there and to be able to participate and contribute on some level to some of the fun stuff that the, that the brands did along the way. Yeah. So do you think in, in the marketing uh, world that you inhabited that you kind of managed to steer yourself into sort of anything that ha- had an involvement with music? That's a, it's a great question. I think, yeah, initially, yeah. I mean, I was just so passionate about that kind of stuff that I found, you know, particularly when you're, when you're in a business that is selling products to, to young people, um, you know, things like music and celebrity and, and the things that are happening in culture and sports are going to be important as part of your marketing mix. Um, yeah, I mean, I won't say that I didn't have a load of fun um, personally along the way, but I always tried to make sure that whatever we were doing was right for the consumers that we were we were trying to connect with. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've been I've, I, I consider myself to be one of the most fortunate uh, people in the world for about a hundred different reasons. But mm-hmm. uh, my career's been 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 a been a lot of fun, and I've been able to do some some really interesting things, and, and in many cases that have that have worked from a marketing standpoint, which is, which is also very important. Yeah. So, so why marketing? Why, why did you uh, end up in marketing? What was it, it about marketing? It, it's funny. I, uh, I, when I graduated from college, I really didn't know what I was going to do at all. Um, I really didn't have a clue. I was, you know, 20 years old, 21 years old. I used to think I was going to go work for my father. Um, I ended up not going to work for my father. I got recruited by Procter & Gamble in sales. I started by selling coffee and orange juice to really small grocery stores in um, North Florida. Um, And then over time, I was able to sort of uh, move beyond taking all my sales experience and moving into marketing. But it's funny, I've I've been able to go a lot of really interesting places in my life, but I never really had a master plan um, to get there. I just sort of marketing just sort of became something that I became interested in along the way. And uh, I've been fortunate that a lot of people, a lot of really smart people, way smarter than me, have taught me um, things along the way, pulled me along, mentored me, kicked me in the butt when I needed to be kicked, pulled me along, pushed me um, and, and taught me. So marketing has become, you know, uh, uh, an important part of my life. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting then. So do you think um, because you didn't have that 
direct, you know, this, I'm going to be a marketer, this is what I'm going to do, that somehow that opened up. So when you were at Procter & Gamble, we were, we were talking before we started recording that you didn't feel very creative in that, within that role, you didn't think you were creative. Right. So did, how then did you sort of open up your own creativity in, in an environment that didn't feel very creative? Well, it's funny. I was there for 11 years, greatest 11 years, an incredible company. They're a very different company today than they were when I was there. But, you know, they have a very strict and straightforward, they had a very strict and straightforward process about how you learned about selling and how you learned about marketing. And I remember used to raise my hands in meetings and say, hey, oh, I have an idea. What about this? You know, I would be told in a very, very encouraging way. Oh, Jeff, we love, we love the way you think like that. That's incredible. We love your initiative, but, but we do it this way. And you'd be like, Oh, okay. And then, you know, in the next meeting you go, Oh, oh, what about this? What about this? Jeff, seriously, your initiative is really something we want you to keep doing, but like we do it this way. And, and over time you, you start to think, well, my ideas must just be really bad. So you stop to, you stop raising your hand, you go up oh, and then you go, oh, well, it must not be the way we do things. So I'm not going to speak up. Yeah. And, and I met my, my, my now wife, who I've been married to for 26 years, told me she was a creative director in an advertising agency and told me one day, you know, you're really, you are a very creative thinker. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not. No, 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 no. You know, I'm, I'm, this is what I am. I work at PNG and this is what I do. And she's like, no, no, you're so much more than that. I have to, I hate to tell you, I had to break this to you, but you are, you need to, you need to embrace your creativity. And the more she encouraged me, the more I started to open my mind. And then I left P&G and went to Coca-Cola. I worked at Coke two different times, but I got to Coke and I had an incredibly creative boss that also encouraged me to use my head and to think and to speak up. And to, if you have an idea, speak up. And if it's a good one, we'll do it. And if it's not, we'll either tell you it's not a good idea or we'll build on it and we'll turn it into a good idea. So, you know, it's the people in my life that have, have, open my mind to what could be. And uh, I'm extremely grateful to people like my wife and to some of the bosses that I've had along the way. Yeah. So that, that particular boss used your initiative that in yeah. and Grabble was just initiative and right. you know, showed you that it, it was actually creativity. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a really interesting experience, maybe three or four weeks, maybe a month into my first time at Coke. I was in a meeting. I sat there. I didn't say anything. I had ideas, but I didn't say anything because there were like 15 people in the room and I was new and thought, hmm, I'm not going to say anything because that's not what you do. And after the meeting, we were walking out in the hall and I said to my boss, hey, have you ever thought about this? What about this? And he, I'll never forget, he stopped and said, oh, excuse me, what? And I was like, have you ever thought about such and such? And he's like, oh, hang on one second. Everybody. Let's get back in the conference room. And I thought, uh -oh. and he pulled everyone back in the conference room and said, um, hey, is, have you guys all met the new guy, Jeff? He just got here from P&G. Um, really smart guy. He's done a lot of really good things. Um, he just had an idea. And I thought we would get everyone back in the conference room. And then he said, uh, before I do, Jeff, you were just in this meeting with this, all these people for the last hour. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, and you sat there and didn't say a word. You didn't, you didn't speak up. You didn't say a word. And then you, you like have the nerve to give me an idea in the hallway afterwards. <laughs> so like, you know, this, you know, Hey, everyone, I want you to meet Jeff. He's the guy that doesn't speak in meetings. And, uh, and he said, um, so, um, you know, it's too late to share your idea, but um, I want you to know that this is Coca-Cola and um, it's okay. 
for you to have ideas. And in fact, you're expected to have them when you're in the meetings, not in the hallways. And uh, so this is never going to happen again. You're going to speak up in the meetings and I pay you to think and to push. And if it's a great idea, we're going to do it. And if it's not, I'm going to tell you it's not. And I'll tell you why. But you need to show up. And, uh, and for me, someone might've looked at that as getting scolded in a meeting. I looked at it as the greatest gift anyone had ever given me in my career, because I was like, what, what, you mean all these crazy things in my head, all these ideas, I can, I can actually say them. And, uh, and he was like, yeah. And then he, and then he jokingly said to everybody, Hey, everyone, you're going to be 10 minutes late to your next meeting. When you get there, I want you to tell everyone in your next meeting that you were late because this new guy, Jeff, didn't share his ideas in the last meeting. And I was like, touche, you got me. Okay, game on. And from then it was like, oh my gosh, like, oh my gosh, the world is so different. Um, And we did some incredible things as a result of being allowed to think, allowed to be creative. It's a funny thing that it seems so intuitive. Because, I mean, I mean that is that's an amazing story. I mean, who was that guy? I would, you know, just how his name is. His name is Steve Coonan. He's one of the greatest influences in my life. He's yeah. now um, he's now the chief executive officer of the Atlanta Hawks professional basketball team in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. He's the most creative, uh, most amazing person I've ever worked for and with. Uh, continues to inspire me on a daily basis, but he he's. He's, you know, I jokingly used to tell him, you're, you're, it's your fault. You're responsible for me. <laughs> and, but, I mean, uh, that is bizarre because it's in a way you'd think that that is quite belittling. That is quite, you know, that. Yeah. He didn't do it in a belittling, belittling yeah. way at all though. It wasn't delivered in a, in a, in a belittling way. It was delivered in a, a bit of a wake up call, but like in a, in a really like, Hey, yeah, we're paying you to be here. You're in the meeting. You're yeah. paid to be in the meeting. Like yeah. speak up. But it is also that thing about permission. I mean, that seems to have come up a lot with me and what I do over the last sort of couple of years. Uh, it, like I was saying, it, it, when I've been in a in a workshop with adults and we're doing uh, drama and improvisation and you know working on scripted stuff, developing characters, all that sort of stuff, it's that uh, giving people permission to play or if I'm working on their voices or coaching them to, to make presentations, it's giving them permission to put yeah. their ideas out there. And I think, you know, school, <laughs> does school kill creativity as Sir Ken Robinson, bless him, said in yeah. many years ago. It's, you know, when, when we're at school, we are so bound up by rules and what we can and can't do is that we take that forward into our lives. And, and you know, as adults need to be given permission to, yeah. to do almost everything. Yeah. I mean, there's a, I think there's often there's some kind of conspiracy against creativity. Um, you know, when you're a creative kid in school, you're seen as being, uh, you know, outside the norm of, you know, what's acceptable. And you're like, yeah. well, who, who gets to define what is acceptable? Yeah. You know, it's the, it's in many cases, it's those creative misfits that were kids that are the ones that go to on to change the world. Yeah. And but yet we try to hold them back and yeah. and direct them into this is the right path, yeah. young lady or young man. And and you're like, OK, yeah, I get it. <laughs> if it wasn't for your wife, maybe or, you know, that just or that boss or even if you'd have stayed at, uh, at P&G and not left, you know, that, what yeah. a waste. <laughs> what no, a waste exactly. of creativity, you know, and how many people are there that yeah. don't, you know, aren't given the permission and so don't speak up. No, I mean, I thought this is who I am. 
you know, before I left, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is who I am. I'm, I'm, you know, and my wife was like, no, you're so much more than that. No, no, no. This is what I am. I've been doing this for 11 years. This is therefore, this is what I am. This must be what my career is going to be. And she was like, no, no, no. It's so much broader. So yeah, we should give each other permission. We, we shouldn't, we should take the time to give people that we care about and that we see a spark in, we should give them the permission to be, yeah. to let go and to be creative and to think differently. Yeah. I had a, uh, I have an artist friend who uh, lost her husband around about the same time I lost mine a, you know, a few years, uh, three years ago. And she was posting on Instagram and she, uh, she put up a fantastic thing that said, he gave me my Ruby slippers. And it's, it, it's that thing of somebody being that supportive or just, yeah kind of giving you that that permission that gift to say you can always come home you know yeah. do, do you know what I mean it's just yeah yeah what a beautiful thing to say yeah there's what not enough people in the say. world are there, that that, um, that can be that supportive yeah I, I don't know why it is that I don't know why it's that way um I don't know why it's that way it's you know it's the Picasso quote you know we're all born artists and you know the, the challenge is to stay one as you grow up because you yeah. keep the world conspires against you you know, no, you're not supposed to think that way. And you're like, well, why not? Tell yep. me why. Where's the rule book? You get to make the rules. Why don't I get to make the rules? <laughs> and so, so. Well, you know, thinking about comp- campaigns then, marketing campaigns. I mean, I've heard you talk before about uh, Converse and how, how you, you know, you, you, you came to that in a, in, from a different angle. So tell us a little bit about what happened at Converse and, and you know, how, how you kind of not rebranded them. I mean, obviously, not it wasn't a rebrand, but you kind of renewed them for a, for a new generation. Yeah, well, I mean, I was part of a bigger team that that did this, so I, I often get credited with a lot of stuff that was the um, result of a big team working together. So I, I want to make sure I, you know, this wasn't me. It wasn't some magical person that went in there. But we went in and we were getting ready to turn a hundred years old, and we were a heritage basketball brand. And you know, you walk through the building, and it was pictures of old basketball players in, you know, uniforms from the fifties and forties. And you thought, well, this is, you know, and then you look, go out in the world and you see these cool, really cool kids and rock bands and street artists and, you know, wearing the old Chuck Taylors and punk rockers. And you thought, well, gosh, why is the image of what we look at ourselves in the building so different from what is the image that people think about us in the world. And we, we, we kept, we were really determined to tell people that we were a heritage basketball brand and we were, we're getting ready to turn hundred years old. And this sums up like the moment that we thought, okay, we have to change. We're in a focus group and we were talking about our hundred year anniversary and we were very proud of it. And the moderator was pushing these young people. Hey, Converse is turning hundred. It's great. It's a great thing. Not many brands make it to hundred. And the kids were like, yeah, okay, cool. And then it was like, no, no, you don't understand hundred. That's a big deal for a brand to make it to hundred years old. You're like, yeah. All right. Whatever. And then he came back to it a third time and said, I, I want to talk about this this hundred year anniversary one more time, because it's a really big deal. And this kid, this young person looked at the moderator and said, you know, Hey man, you keep telling me how old you are. I'm just going to think you're old. And for us, it was like, Oh my gosh, we're so impressed with how old we are and they don't really care. So why do we care so much? We're not going to, why would we want to work so hard to make them care about how old we are? They don't care. They only care about now. So we started to think about, we had all these incredible creative people that were taking our brand in a really unusual and different places. So we just followed them. 
And when we got in the rooms with them, we said, what can we do to help? How can we participate in what you're doing instead of just market to you and ask you to buy shoes every time we talk to each other? How can we help you? And like, we kept asking that question. We started in China with a couple of punk rock bands who told us, which was shocking. We've always wanted to play our music in another city. And we were like, what do you mean? Well, we, we've only been able to play our, our music in small places in Beijing. Like we've never left Beijing. Well, I'm sorry, what? So we're like, so we, we literally bought a bus and we put them in a bus and we toured them around five or six cities around China. And we shot a documentary film and it was like, what? This is amazing. And it was just, it was a universal story about young people who had something to say, who were following a dream. And for us, it was like, why wouldn't we do that? That's, and then we came back to Brooklyn and we did the same thing. And kids told us, I have no place to record. Okay. We'll build a recording studio for you. And, and what you will. Yeah, sure. Like, cause we want to help you. And we did that. And what we just flipped the way we thought about marketing to people, particularly these kids are not kids that you can market to. They're ones that like they, they have a BS meter and like right away, they're like, mm, I don't like you. So you have to show up and bring something to the party. And that's what we did. And as a result, you know, changed all of our lives dramatically. Um, not just our business, our business grew dramatically, but it changed the way everybody on the team th- thought about how marketers and brands should engage with, with people, people, not consumers, not target markets, people. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, 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 um, so, the, so just to understand the money that would have been spent on a, on a huge campaign yeah. was then put into recording studios and buses and that, that kind of thing. And actually, do you think that it was the, the sales were more successful doing it that way? So, I mean, there, there are uh, business cases to be made. Advertising can work effect- effectively, but, but we, we ran a recording studio. We built and ran a recording studio that recorded with over 3,000 artists over five years. That it cost us to r- build and run the studio with the equivalent of one eight-week flight of television advertising cost. So I, we, we sacrificed one eight-week campaign for five years of interaction with consumers in a deep and meaningful way. Wow. And each, each, each band that came in, picked up their phone. They started taking pictures. They started broadcasting to their social media networks. Look what Converse is doing with me. And it was way, way more effective. And over the nine, nine or, you know, nine or so years that we were there, we went from about a $350 million business to almost a $3 billion business. So we, we grew dramatically. Yeah. We grew dramatically. Trend helped us taking markets control markets back helped us but certainly the way we connected with young creative people had a massive impact as well i mean that's i ask really because you know i i am a relatively new business i don't know i i didn't even know what content marketing was up until about two years ago um and now i'm looking at growing my business but in a in a in a different way i can't afford a huge campaign to put myself out there so I'm looking at you know this is a, a big part of my content marketing you know to yeah, put of course. myself out there and do that sort of stuff but I mean it's just amazing and it, it, don't you wish that more companies would would work that way because that's surely it's a way of uh, of engaging of helping of being of value yeah. rather than just kind of you know that that you know 
by my well, I mean, you have the conversation with your, your chief financial officer, you know, they'll say, well, we're not going to do this. We're not going to build a studio. What's the payout? What's the ROI? Yeah. And I said, look, it's never been done before. We don't, I don't know what the ROI is. Like, I don't know. But if you want me to just do what everybody else has already done, because you can prove an ROI, that seems a little lazy, honestly. Um, I believe we believe in this idea and we're going to prove it out. And if it doesn't return the ROI, then okay, we learned and we'll move on. But, you know, and it did return the ROI. I mean, the, the, the amount of press coverage we got alone for opening the studio was more than literally the press we got before the studio, we ever put a nail in the wall yeah. was worth more than what it cost us to build the place. So, you know, it, it was a, certainly a social experiment, but um, it was one that worked. It was one that reset the way we all think about how to connect with consumers. And yeah. you know, it was super fun, super fun. Yeah. And do you think other, other companies have, have now taken that idea? Because it seems to be- I don't know if they've taken the idea. I mean, I mean, you know, there's only a, you know, my boss, at, my first boss at Coke told me there's only a handful of original ideas in the world and everything's an adaptation of those. So I wouldn't say we were the only people that ever did that. Um, certainly Red Bull's done a great job over the years of really committing to a culture and supporting it and amplifying it. I think Vans has done a really nice job over the years of doing the same thing. I think on, to some extent, Nike's done a, an amazing job as well. So I think lots of brands are, 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 are putting it as part of their, you know, part of their mix for, for sure. But, yeah. you know, there, and there's so many brands and so many companies, you know, chasing the branded content, you know, chasing the dream and, you know, and they lose the plot because they make it about themselves. Yeah. You know, I used to say, you know, no one in the world woke up this morning anywhere and was stretching in bed and thought, mm, gosh, I hope, I hope Sprite has a new YouTube video today. <laughs> right. But, but we as marketers think that that YouTube video is so critical to our success and we put it out there and then we wonder why no one watches it when well, no one watches it. Cause it was not needed. It was unnecessary yeah. and it didn't add any value. And uh, it made us feel good as a, as a, you know, insert any brand name there, by the way, not just Sprite was just an example, but insert any brand name there. And we get up in the morning and we think we're so incredibly important. We think the world's waiting for our amazing content. And that's just not the case. Yeah. There's not. So to, to, to understand that before you hit the, the record button on any content, yeah. is important to, to think about. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, certainly brand's voice has kind of changed in the, in the tone somehow. I've, yeah. I've noticed over the years, certainly over the last couple of years, and I don't know whether that's to do with social media or just, you know, a generational thing, you know, sort of the generations are moving on and it's now a different way of communicating. But just in terms of copy, in terms of, you know, the, the way people, the way companies, brands are now writing and, and the way that they're, they're putting content out there. It seems yeah. to me that the tone has changed some, somehow. Well, the tone has changed because years ago, um, there was no, no ability to talk back, right? So brands would stand on top of a hill and yell their message down at you and, and continue to beat you over the head with it with loads and loads of media. And you as a consumer were, were helpless to respond. You, you know, you responded by whether or not you bought their, their products, but they didn't really care what you had to say. Well, now it's instant. A brand does something and I can instantly weigh in on a, a number of social media platforms. I can weigh in and say something. Yeah. 
So you have to be more careful. You have to be more considerate and you have to understand that like the game's changed. It's a two-way conversation. And I know that sounds a bit cliche, but it is, it is you have to consider the person receiving your content and their context and whether or not they want to receive it and whether or not they want to hear what you have to say. And gone are the days of me getting up in the morning and saying, I'm going to say, my brand is going to say this, and I'm going to spend tens of millions of dollars to say it. And no one's going to talk back. Well, you know, that's just not the case anymore. So the power has shifted um, away from the brands, which I think is amazing. Like it's super interesting. (laughs) And do, how do you think they've coped during COVID though? I mean, obviously the, the tone of voice has had to change, but do you think that they've done it well? Um, you know, who, who, who? Anybody, again, oh, any, brands. Yeah, any yeah. brand name, do you think that they've, they've, um, they've judged the, you know, the, the room kind of thing during COVID? Yeah, well, I think, I think um, we're starting to see, um, I think we're just, it, it's, it's sad that it's just the case, but we're just starting to see brands, I think, start to really get what, um, how they can play along. I think when COVID first hit, no one knew what to do. So everyone shut down their advertising and their media. And they said, it'd be better if we don't say anything right now. And so, and in, in some cases that, I mean, to me, a very appropriate thing to do at the beginning of all this, we don't know what's going to happen. People are dying. Why, why are we advertising right now? This is probably not a good time. And on, on the other hand, the finance people were like, yeah, it's great. We can save some money because we're afraid our business is going to fall. So we need to save our marketing dollars. So that happened. Then I think you saw brands start to come out, you know, in my opinion, way too early to say, oh, we know how you feel. We're in this with you. We, we're we're going to get through this together. And how we're going to do that is we're going to offer you a touchless delivery of our new sport utility vehicle. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was like the same commercial over and over with a different brand. But it, to me, it was the most insulting inappropriate. Like, first of all, you're a car. You don't know how I feel. You're a car. You're not in it with me. You're a car. And at the end of your soppy little statement, you still want me to buy something from you. And like people are dying right now. And what are you doing? So I found that to be as a marketer, like offensive, you know, to think why are we, I know we have to still sell things and I go, but like, come on. We can do better than this. And I think you're now starting to see a softened tone and you're starting to see brands think about maybe we don't tell people we know how they feel. Maybe we just do things to make people feel different. Maybe think differently. Like let's get their mind off of it for a second instead of walking right into it. So it's been a, it's certainly something that I think we're going to study for years and years to come. Yeah. um, The way, the way brands acted here. Yeah. I mean, it, just, it, it makes me think of previously there have been other pandemics. You know, there have been other yeah. huge chunks of time that people have been locked down, going back to the, the, <laughs> the plagues and the, the Black Death. You know, they, they reckon there wouldn't have been a renaissance had it not have been for right. the plague that ravaged Europe back in the 15th century, I think it was. Um, so there wouldn't have been Leonardo da Vinci or Michelangelo or, you know, all those sort of things. Isaac Newton during the 1666 when he was taken out of Cambridge University and had to, was locked down at home, discovered calculus or, you know, right. it's year of wonder. And right. so, you know, we, there is innovation around all of these things. Definitely. Um, so I, I do believe, and I don't know what you think, is that at the end of this, at the end of this 
sort of at least a year, if not however many more months it may, may well go on, that there has been innovation, there, there has been opportunity for people to, to spend time working out what it is they want to do and whether that's something creative uh, and and also the problem solving you know all the all the issues that have come up in the last year that suddenly we need solutions for that things you know the vaccine in itself has been turned exactly. around and uh, and created in such a short amount of time yeah so yeah I completely agree. I mean, there, we have seen massive innovation. We've seen acceleration of innovation. I mean, from things as simple as like, uh, okay, restaurants are closed. Um, boy, it would be great if I could get my food delivered to delivery companies showing up. And like, it's, a, it's, it's remarkable the, the creativity that's come out of this. I, I think you're going to see, and we're starting to see art um, and art in the broadest sense be something that continues to pull us out of this as well. I believe that we are going to experience an incredible, um, incredible amount of, of interesting new visual film and music that's going to come out of this. You know, I, I, uh, I watched firsthand, um, you know, an artist, you know, spend time uh, alone writing and writing and recording and writing and recording. And I think that, you know, as soon as we're able to go back to live shows and stuff, I think it's going to be it's going to be really, really interesting. So yeah, I mean, I, I uh, yes, there's been, there is massive hope in, in what has been a really bad situation. Yeah. Um, but there's massive hope in the human spirit uh, and what we can accomplish given a moment to be able to think about how could I approach that differently? Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. It's been a bad thing, but we're going to wind up, I think a stronger world as a result of some of these new things, new thinking yeah. that's, that's come out. Yeah. I think, I think people will, will look at each other differently too. I think just as, as, as communities, I think people will hopefully be kinder. I sure different. hope that. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I've seen some fantastic uh, theater on Zoom. Um, I watched a, um, a theater company called Degenerate Fox, who I interviewed uh, Laura Killeen for, uh, for a podcast. And they did, they do 30 plays in, in 60 minutes yeah 30 plays in 60 minutes so two minutes per play all, awesome. new, all new plays um and they managed they used to do it in a little pub in Islington but now they've sort of transferred it online and I went along signed up for zoom and it was amazing I and mean, what people yeah. are doing in their own spaces in their own homes um and then bringing it together to share with the world you know yeah. and she was saying at obviously the, the company a lot of them live in London, but are from, you know, South America or in other parts of the world. And their parents have been able to see them for the first time ever performing. Right. So right. I don't think this is ever going to go away. I think that, you know, there's there's so much here that has been discovered that, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, th I think it's going to be a, a very exciting time. And yeah, I mean, people have had the tools and the time to think. And, you know, there's a lot of new and interesting things happening as a result. It's exciting. Yeah, um, it's exciting. Yeah, and we both know Joseph Jaffe, who started Corona TV, his TV show in lockdown. I think, really, for his from the conversation I had with him, really for his own well-being, of exactly, just, of just keeping busy, keeping your brain kind of working. Um, how do you? How did you meet Joseph? Was it through? So it's it's really funny. We are. Um, I I we'd never really met before, um, and uh, we were Facebook friends. You know, Facebook friends. And um, uh, I 
my birthday was in July uh, and I got a happy birthday post from him. And I thought, well, how nice. And when, when I get someone post something like that, I always take a minute to, to say thank you. And his post said, um, hey, happy birthday, such and such. Check out this show I'm doing. You get a shout out today. And I thought, okay, well, that's, that's unusual, but thank you. And then, of course, I, you know, I was like, okay. So I watched his show, and it's this guy sitting at home talking about what's happening in the world and interviewing somebody different every day. And three, four, five minutes into the show, I thought, what this guy's the most charming, interesting, quirky um, person ever. So um, I sent him a note after the show, and I'm like, hey, I watched the show. Good for you for like for sitting in front of your camera and and pontificating and um, thinking and talking and then meeting new people. What a great way. Yeah. So he said, you, would you like to be on the show? So sure. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of weeks later, I was on the show and uh, I just fell in love with this guy. He's just uh, such a good spirit. He's the kind of person that you're like, I want to protect you forever. Yeah. I want to protect that, that sense of wonder and that sense of curiosity. And so, um, you know, I, he and I, I, we've never been in the same room together. We've never had a beer together, but like, I would absolutely tell you that that guy's a very good friend. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's a perfect example of someone saying, okay, I've got a bad situation. I'm stuck at home. I'm going to make the best of it. And yeah, I have yeah. an idea. I'm going to talk to people. Yeah. I'm going to meet new people every day. And I'm going to invite other people to participate in the community. And like, yeah. you know, he's done it every business day for over a year now. And like, you know, way to yeah. go. I know. I know. I love that. I mean, I, I love him too. And uh, he is the reason that I have, I started this podcast because he was in a, a, a you are the media zoom room uh, talking to, to us as a community over here. And I, I thought, yeah, I, I could have just listened to him all day. So yeah, I stayed on afterwards and asked some questions and thought, no, I'm <laughs> going to do it. I actually am going to do it. So he's terrific. He yeah. inspired me. So yeah. I mean, and, and what, so what do you do for, what have you done in lockdown for your well-being? Oh, that's a good question. So I, I actually left Coke in June. So I've had some time. I took some time this past year to one, I think spent some time just to get to know myself again. You know, sometimes you just get so wrapped up in your own career that you kind of lose yourself along the way. So I've been fortunate that to, to do that. I'm, in, I'm uh, consulting for a number of startups, a number of music tech startups, I um, just joined the board of a nonprofit organization called Giving Kitchen here in Atlanta that um, helps raise money for food service restaurant workers who don't have benefits and that kind of stuff, particularly in times like these. Um, and then, like I said, I'm consulting for um, a bunch of different companies and it's just been really fun. I'm, I'm, I, you know, someday I'm going to write a book. So occasionally I sit down and, and try to write a chapter here or there and someday I'll pull it all together and put a cover on it and call it something but um yeah. until then i'm just enjoying enjoying life and getting to know new people it's been i mean you know it's a pleasure that we got to meet through joseph and uh this is you know this is what life is life is about absolutely i mean and that's what i love about the podcast is is just reaching out and meeting new people and just talking because that's what i love to do you know this yeah, is me too i say this is my content marketing this is me marketing yeah it's great <laughs> i love it i mean next next week i'm talking to tom morris 
which I'm also very excited about, you know. The best. That guy is incredible. Yeah, no, I'm very excited. I've got a very long list of questions to ask him, but. So do I. I have a very long list to ask him as well. So please tell him I said hello. He's, he's a, again, a person that I met that I never would have met, uh, but I met him through Joseph's program. Yeah. And uh, I just, I sit on the edge of my seat when he talks. I'm like, yeah. wow, what a what an interesting, interesting person. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. So yeah. you you said you were you've started a magazine, or you're you're in the process of of working with with some people out, around a magazine. What what? Is yeah, it? at the beginning of the pandemic, um, a friend of mine that used to run an agency in Boston called Modernista called me and said, "Hey, I'm getting together with this friend of mine who started Nylon Magazine and a magazine called Raygun Magazine, um, and we're starting a, a new magazine, and uh, you know we need some help." And I thought, a magazine. Well, that's a really bad idea. You know, initially that was my, like, why would you do that? And then I thought for a minute, you know, in my, my reverse way of thinking sometimes it's like, wait a minute, magazines are not cool. Wait a minute. That must mean magazines are cool. So, and, and I got to know Marvin Jarrett, the founder of, of Nylon and, and I've known Gary for years. And the more we talked about it, the more he had a vision to start something that's really about quality storytelling, quality photography, quality production. And it's really like a piece of art, the first issue. And our second issue comes out in about two weeks. Um, and it's part magazine and then part sort of content development play. And I just help them think about the brand and how to structure it and how to bring some corporate partners in. And, and as a result, I'm one of the co-founders. And you know, it's one of those things that like never, I never would have had time to even think about doing in a, in a, you know, in a pre-pandemic world. So I thought, yeah, I've never done this before. This sounds fun. And I, I, like I told you earlier, you know, I, I, you know, my whole life you're introduced as, you know, Jeff Cottrell, and then your title is inserted. Yeah. And I, I, I wanted to purposely come, come out of leaving Coke and retiring from that place and thinking about what was next to be Jeff Cottrell, comma, lots of different things, not just Jeff Cottrell, comma, this is what I am. Because I don't want to be defined by a title a job i want to be defined by the way i think and the things i do so yeah this this I, has been a great opportunity for me to do a whole bunch of different things yeah which is exactly. quite interesting and, and what would you tell young people then because i know obviously you've, you've mentioned the word mentor quite often through our conversation so there's obviously been people that you you look at as mentors do you now coach young people do you oh yeah i spent yes i do um i have two two daughters first and foremost that you know i try my best to be a good example for them um but yeah i mean so many people have helped me along the way so i, I try to do my best to help people i i i encourage people to you know it's easy to say oh find something you love well you know what you're not always going to find something you love and you know they call it work for a reason so you're not going to be happy every single day when you get up and go someplace but stay true to yourself and who you are and and be curious like don't know it all right we, we always feel like if we walk into a room or we're sitting in a zoom and we're not the one that's the smartest person in the room that somehow we fail and i think there's great power in knowing that you're not the smartest person in the room and embracing it you know i'm gonna die someday not knowing everything it's true yeah so i so i encourage people to accept that early it's okay to not know everything um, what's not okay is to not be curious about your journey and about the things and the situations that you're in. And I find, tell people that you maintain that wonder, sense of wonder and curiosity in everything you do, and you're going to find yourself in the places that, that make you happy. 
Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's on you. Happiness is a choice. It's not a gift. It's not a right. It's a choice. And, um, you can get to happiness a lot faster with a, with a, with a sense of wonder and curiosity in your heart and your mind. That's yeah. what I try to tell people. Yeah. Oh, happiness is a choice is I thought I invented that. I thought that was my quote, but because it, it, so many people don't even, they don't realize that, do they? No, they don't. In fact, it's it funny. Three or four months ago, I was talking to somebody and uh, it was like talking to an agency or something in the Zoom. And I just blurted that out. And I was like, you know, happiness is a choice. And uh, I thought to myself, well, that's good. I should write that down. Like, <laughs> that yeah, does. So, so now I know I have you to thank for it. So um, it just occurred to me. I was like, wow, what a great, what a great way to like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep that. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. True. Well, I can't let you go without just quickly talking to me about the people that you've worked with, because, you know, there's a list from Paul McCartney through to, you know, rappers, uh, Joni Mitchell, Pharrell. I mean, it was that through Converse or where, where have you? Uh, part of it was through my uh, time at Coca-Cola. Part of it was through my time at Starbucks. Time, part of it was at my time, certainly at Converse. When I was at Starbucks, we were fortunate. We signed uh, literally legitimate direct record deals with Paul McCartney, Joni Mitchell, James Taylor, um, where we were the record label and we were the partner in distributing the record. So I was fortunate that I got to meet uh, Patty Spinks, which is uh, which is Paul's manager at the time and uh, and ultimately got to meet Paul, which was, you know, for me, one of the greatest thrills of my life um, backstage with with him asking him questions and then him pulling out a stack of Polaroid photos of at the time his uh, six or seven year old daughter Beatrice showing me Polar oh this is you know oh you know let me show you that my baby pictures I'm thinking to myself like I'm standing with a beetle and uh, he's showing me his baby pictures this is one of the greatest moments of my life and and then uh, James Taylor being one of my personal favorites personal heroes seeing him sing and, and recording a record with him and and then getting to meet people like Pharrell yeah I mean I've been incredibly fortunate that I've got to meet these people and I tend not to get starstruck because I just see them as people and um and you know every single person that I've met have given me some you know some insight to how 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 real and how good they are as as, as humans and people so it's been yeah. I've been very very lucky yeah. very fortunate I can't help but think that you've you've sort of engineered this fantastic life for yourself I don't know how <laughs> <laughs> I think my parents, my parents have always taught me to be nice to people and to have a positive attitude. And, you know, they've never directly said this to me, but kind of lean forward, right? Just sort of like, just kind of stumbled my way through life, but always trying to be positive and optimistic. And if I fall, I'm going to fall on my face, but it's easier to get up because you can push yourself up. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I just followed things that I'm interested in that I'm curious in and that, you know, I've wound up in rooms um meeting people that you know I'm like how did I get here like how did I get to this room this is so weird <laughs> so, so what's next what's I mean what's the good question yeah. I'm gonna continue um I'm certainly uh I have a, lots of different opportunities but it, I'm taking my time the the most important thing for me in my next choice and whatever it is I do is I'm looking for the right people to work with I want the right kind of people around the table with me I want people that aren't like me. I want people that don't look like me. I want people that don't come from the same place I come from. And I, I would love to work with a group of people that can model and demonstrate what the world should look like. 
Like, you know, like we know what the world looks like, but for some reason from the world to the boardroom, things look very different. And so I'd love nothing more than to find a really interesting group of diverse thinking people with diverse backgrounds and to do something remarkable together with them. That's what I'm looking to do. But people, first and foremost, are really my only criteria right now is, you know, am I, am I going to be interested to work with you? Am I going to learn from you? Are we going to do interesting things together? Um, um, I'm not at a place in my life where I, I don't need to work. I, I, I want to work, and, but it's not about money or title or any of that stuff anymore. I think I've outgrown that, that part of my, yeah. my career. And now it's just about, I just want to be surrounded by people that are interesting and that we're doing interesting things. And at the end of the day, I can say, hmm, that's cool. I learned yeah. something new today. Yeah. But in no particular area. So it's them for music or, or no, 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 I'm, I'm a, my, so my daughter's a musician. So um, the music world belongs to my daughter. Um, and, uh, and I am so happy to just be her dad. Yeah. And I have two daughters, one's a producer uh, in, in advertising, and um, I uh, couldn't be any more proud of, of both of them. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm staying, nothing. Music will be something that I listen to and now I get to, you know, occasionally go to one of my daughter's concerts and that's cool. But like working in the music business is, I'm not, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. As I was saying to you earlier, my daughter's been been writing in lockdown and it's it's just amazing what they can come up with in on their phones. I mean, and it's just, it's like she's got a full orchestra and a backing band, you know, sort of backing band. Amazing. Right. Just so give I, people the tools and the time yeah, and the space. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's remarkable what they can what they can create. It's yeah. it's crazy. It's yeah. fun. So yeah, it makes yeah. the world a fun place. So I'm looking forward to going to one of my daughter's concerts in the future. Yeah, yeah me too. I'll, I'll, I'd love to join you. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Oh, thank you so much for your time today, Jeff. It's been absolutely amazing. A privilege and a pleasure oh, to talk to you. So the privilege and pleasure has been all mine, I can thank tell you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for spending time with me. I'm going to say goodbye. And, uh, and again, thank you very much for, for being here. Jeff Cottrell. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, then please like or share. And if you'd like to receive information on future guests or would like to know more about Power to Speak, then sign up for our newsletter at www.powertospeak.co.uk. See you next time.